Welcome to the Sunday Preaching Podcast of The Point Church, located in Perdido Key, Florida. We believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. What a great time that is as we observe the Lord's Supper together. Uh, we are going to continue on this morning in Colossians and ask you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, uh, today we are going to continue in our study in Colossians. Uh, last week we did an introduction and uh, we did somewhat of an overview of the book and uh, of the letter. And uh, I shared with you three different headings from Dr. Warren Wiersbe, who talks about, first of all, the church. And then Paul deals with the church. He talks about the crisis in the church. And then we look at the correspondence, which is what we're looking at here, and that's what we're studying together, this is correspondence to the church there at Colossae. And, um, and so we're going to continue on this morning looking at uh, verses uh, 3 through 8, and uh, Paul begins with a word of thanksgiving, and uh, this is the way he begins almost all of his letters, and this one is no exception. And, uh, and he, in this letter, Paul is grateful for what God has done in the lives of these believers there in Colossae, and, uh, and he is thankful for the gospel. So if you will, look with me. We're going to look at this. You'll notice that the heading, if you're using, you're using an international standard, uh, excuse me, uh, an English standard version, uh, you will uh, notice that this heading is uh, Thanksgiving and Prayer. And, uh, and he, this is really verses 3 through 14, but we're not going to look at all of those verses this morning. We'll pick up with verse 9 next week, and we're kind of talking, kind of splitting the prayer up, if you will, and we're going to look through verse 8 today. Here's what Paul says to them. He says, we always give thanks, um, God, the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved, faithful servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would guide us. We know that your Holy Spirit inspired this word. We need the Holy Spirit, Lord, to illuminate our hearts. In fact, we need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We need the Holy Spirit to be our preacher today. And Lord, I pray that you'd do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're going to live a life that is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're going to live a life that is centered on Him, then you must begin with the gospel. Because you see, the gospel is the heart of the message about Christ, and indeed, the gospel is the theme of the whole Bible. And in fact, the gospel is found on every page of the Bible. I'd encourage you to look at the Bible and just see the gospel as it is seen in all of it. When we go to the Old Testament, the Old Testament prepares us for the message of the gospel. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give to us the, 
the if you will the in the the tells us the the life and death and resurrection of Christ which is the very heart of the gospel and then as you go to the rest of the new testament explains to us what the gospel means to us today so you see the 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 gospel is at the center of the bible the gospel is the the foundational message that if for anyone who wants to walk with Christ, who wants to live a life that is focused on Christ alone. And that's the title of this series, Christ Alone. And we're talking about today, gospel gratitude. If you're going to live a life like that, then your life must be centered on the gospel. The gospel is the heart of everything. Now, we learned next week, last week that uh, in Colossae there were uh, false teachers, and they were distorting the teaching of Christ, and they were distorting the teaching of the gospel. In the same way, folks, we have those same kind of false doctrines that are out there today, because what we have is anything that you add to Christ, anything that you add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is false. It is a lie. It's an error, and it's always going to lead you astray. Because what we need is Christ alone. All we need is Christ alone. When Jesus was on the cross, he uttered those words. It is one word in the Greek, tetelestai, which really means it is finished, right? In other words, he did everything that needed to be done. I don't need to do anything. You don't need to do anything. In fact, we can't do anything. All we do is accept what Jesus Christ did for us. That is the gospel. You see, the Christian life begins where the letter of Colossians begins, and that is the focus on the gospel, on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so Paul begins this letter thanking God for uh, the wonderful, amazing, magnificent gospel of Jesus Christ in this prayer. And he gives to us what are some instructions, or we can call them admonitions, about what we need to do concerning the gospel. And the first one is this. I'm going to give them to you quickly today. But the first one is simply, we need to thank God for the power of the gospel in our fellow believers. You see, we, we, we're not in this alone, are we? we? We have fellow believers. We need to thank God for the power of the gospel in those lives, of, in the lives of those people that are around us. Notice what he says there, beginning in verse 3. He said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. So Paul begins his prayer by thanking God for these believers in Colossae there. And he said, we always thank God, the Father, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Paul begins almost all of his letters this way. He always seems to begin with a word of thanksgiving and a word of encouragement. He does that in all of his letters except for Galatians and 1 Corinthians. And if you know about what was going on in Galatia, you know what was going on in Corinth. The problems were so severe that when he wrote the letters to them, he simply just went by talking about the the thanksgiving and all of that, and he went right to the problem, and he began to deal with that. But normally, Paul begins with thanks and encouragement, and we ought to do the same, right? We ought to do the same. This, 
this should be a good reminder to us that we need to be in we need to be full of thanksgiving and encouragement to the people that are around us. Because you see, listen, the people that are sitting right there next to you, the people that are sitting on on either side of you, or they're sitting in front of you, or behind you, listen, they are in need of a word of encouragement today. You know, sometimes I, I feel almost ashamed because everybody's always encouraging me. You know, as as the as the speaker or the pastor of a church. They're always encouraging me. They're always giving me encouraging words. But what about the people around you? You need to be encouraging them. You need to be giving them words of hope and words of encouragement and thanking God for them. Notice what he says here. He said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, that really seems to be the pattern of his prayer. And when he's praying here for the Colossians, he also thanked God for them. The, the, the question for all of us is how much of our prayer life is spent thanking God for what God has done in the people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ and what God has done in them. You see, Paul's words are, are really even more amazing here because he didn't even know these people. He'd never been with them. He didn't start the church there. He had never even visited the church there. And, and, but yet, here he is in prison writing this, and he still spent time praying for them. Specifically, he says here, we are always thanking God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's very important because Paul begins a theme here, and he continues this all throughout this letter of Colossians, that, that both God the Father and Jesus Christ are God. They are part of the Trinity. Listen, folks, that is so essential. I knew a man one time who was a deacon in a Baptist church who didn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's a problem, folks. That's a problem. Because, see, Jesus is God, and Paul is refuting error here. And the way you refute error is you do it with the truth. And he begins talking about that. He talks about the fact that, that Jesus is God and the Father is God, just like the Father is God. And Paul not only thanks God for the believers at Colossae, but he, he states a very the specific reason why he thanks God for them. And he says it in verse 4. And he says, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So why does, God thank God, why does Paul thank God for these Colossians? Because he heard about two things. He heard about their faith. He heard about their love. He heard about their faith in Christ and their love and their love for other believers. This faith in Christ Jesus includes believing on Jesus, that is for salvation, and it speaks of our faith growing in Christ Jesus. You see, th this, this, this faith belongs to this. When the, we talk about this, we talked about it last week in verse 2, where Paul gives us that favorite phrase of his, and that is, in Christ. A and you notice here that that the Christian life focuses on, first of all, a person. When you come to know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you're not accepting a group of doctrines. You're accepting a person. You're coming into a relationship, not with a set of doctrines, and saying, oh, I, I line up with those things. I believe those things. Yes, we believe those things, but you're coming into a relationship with a person, and that is the person of Jesus Christ, because Christ is central to the gospel. So Paul thanks 
God because he heard of their faith and because he heard of their love. We ought to, uh, you know, have love for those who are around us. And genuine faith will always lead naturally to love of those around us. I never have understood how people can say they love Jesus, but they don't love somebody out here. Listen, we've got to love him. We see this in Galatians 5, 6. Paul talks about faith expressing itself through love. And in the first, 1 John 3, 14, it talks about the, one of the true marks of faith is loving other believers. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love love for our brothers. And Paul describes their love as a, a love for all the saints. In other words, there's no discrimination. It's for all of them. We, you know, we can't say we love this group, but we don't love that group. I love these folks over here, but I don't love those folks over there. Listen, in Christ Jesus, we love everyone. He's the only one who can make that possible in our lives. Listen, I'm not a very lovable person sometimes. But in Christ, he makes me lovable, right? That's Christ in me. And, 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 and I've known some other people who aren't lovable. Have you? Yeah, yes, you have. I'm sure you have. And, and so we, we do that in Christ. And, and where does this, this, uh, this faith and love come from? It comes from the hope of the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Faith and love springs forth from hope. Listen, I want to tell you something. Hope is a powerful motivator. It really is. Listen, you know, uh, John Piper talks about the fact in one of his books called Future Grace, he talks about the fact that, that our, our future hope is more of a motivator in our life than our past. Uh, you know, we're looking back to the cross. We did that just a moment ago as we observed the communion together, but we're also looking to the hope. And, and the hope is, folks, that we're going to be with Jesus one day. And we have a relationship with him right now. The Bible says that when we are saved, we have eternal life, which means we enter eternal life the very moment we're saved. And the eternal life doesn't just speak to the quantity of life. It speaks to the quality of life. That's the reason why you need to come to know Jesus as soon as you can, because you get to have a life here that is different. That's why he tells us that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Hope is a powerful motivator. And Paul says that this hope is stored up in heaven for us. In verse 5, he said it's laid up or it's reserved. The word there means that it is safe. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? That means that there is no one, there is nothing, no power that can ever storm the gates of heaven and take away your hope because it is secure in heaven. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, the Scripture tells us this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the, of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days or the last time. You see, your hope is safe. Your hope is secure. It is stored up in heaven for you. Listen, the hope I'm talking about is not a hope like we say, well, I hope that happens. I 
hope that's going to take place. No, I'm talking about a hope that is grounded in the Word of God, that is grounded in our God Himself in eternity. And finally, you note here that before any of this can happen, in this, because this, this, he says that the gospel has to come first because of the hope that is laid up for you, he says. Of this you have heard before the word uh, of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. You see, this hope that Paul is writing about here is not a new teaching to these Christians there in Colossae. This is what was delivered to them. This was what was preached to them. This word of truth that was given to them, that hope and that truth is what I is. You remember they are having all these problems with error. They're having all these problems with false teachers. And just as I said a moment ago, the way you combat error, the way you combat lies is you always do it with the truth. And he says it has come to you. In other words, someone had to bring it to you, right? Someone had to get it there. You didn't just dream it up. It wasn't something that just came up inside of you. Someone had to share the gospel with you. And Paul describes the gospel here. He uses in the several different words in, in these verses 5 and 6. He, he talks about the word, and he talks about the truth, and he talks about the gospel, and he talks about grace. It is the word of truth. And we must compare all other teachings to the gospel, all of the teaching. Now, real quickly, and see, he says that we're, gives us the admonition that we need to thank God for the power of the gospel in fellow believers. We need to praise God as we look around in this room and you think about how that person came to know Christ and that person came to know Christ and how you came to know Christ and, and what God, the gospel has done in your life. Praise God for that and thank God for that. And then secondly, thank God for the spread of the gospel around the world. Notice what he says in this latter part of verse 6. He says, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Listen, the gospel is not some individual matter. It is not just some uh, matter of a, of a local phenomenon. No, the gospel of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, God is, is too big and Jesus is too great for a, a local gospel. This gospel is global in its implications. That's why we do things like collecting money for international missions and we send missionaries to places is because the gospel is being spread across the world. In fact, Jesus talks about that in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. He talks about the sowing of the seed and the hard ground and the rocky ground and the thorny ground. But he says also some of those seed are sown and they fall, as verse 8 he says, in soil that produces. It is, a, it is a good ground, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And all over the world, folks, the gospel is being spread and it is being fruitful and it is growing. Paul says that the gospel is, is not like these false teachings that you've heard, not like these things that you've been exposed to, but rather the gospel has worldwide application. You see, the gospel does two things. It bears fruit and it grows or spreads. Bearing fruit points to that 
inward work of the gospel in us and bearing and, and, and uh, growing uh, talks about that outward expression. The, Warren Wiersbe says that the word of God is the only seed that can be planted anywhere in the world and bear fruit. And it's doing that, folks. We may scatter the seed, but he's the one who grows it, right? He's the one who brings about the fruit. And Paul tells us how that gospel bears fruit. He says is when we hear it and when we understand it. When we hear it and when we understand it. Uh, you know, this is an encouragement to the Colossians there. Paul reminds them that the gospel, what the gospel seed has been doing in them from the very start. They heard the gospel. They understood it. You see, it's not just enough to hear the gospel. That's good. It's not just enough to hear it, but we must do something. We must believe it. We must accept it. Uh, we, we have to understand it. And, and God's, but God's grace, and, and, and how can you understand grace? No one can really understand grace, but, but God's grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor that is given to us in Christ Jesus. I didn't do anything in my life to be saved, folks. None of us are going to be in heaven walking around with our suspenders poked out talking about how we got there because we didn't get there because of what we did. We got there because of what Jesus Christ did. And this stands in sharp contrast to all other religions of the world. They teach to us that, that these other religions teach that we got to climb up to God. We got to do this. We got to do that in order to get to him. Only the gospel teaches that, that he came down to us. And notice we understand it and, it, and all its truth. Another, uh, this is another word against the false teachers there. Uh, that it also reminds us that God's grace is a beautiful and glorious thing of great wonder and great depth. It is when we understand God's grace and all its truth that the gospel begins to bear fruit in our lives. This I want to ask you this morning, have you heard the gospel? Have you responded to the gospel? Have you understood the gospel? Is that something that's happened in your life? Is it bearing fruit in your life? Is it growing in your life? Listen, we need to thank God for the power of the gospel in our fellow believers. We need to thank God for the spread of the gospel um, around the world. But we also need to thank God for those who shared the gospel with us. He says in verses 7 and 8, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us the love, uh, us your love in the Spirit. Everyone learns the gospel from someone else. And Paul reminds here the Colossians that they learned it. They learned it from a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras was seen as Paul's fellow worker. Epaphras was, was not, was, uh, uh, from Colossae, but he was actually somewhere there, we believe, in, in Ephesus when Paul was doing ministry there. It's about 100 miles away from Colossae. And Paul preached the gospel, and Epaphras heard the gospel and understood the gospel, and his life was changed. And he went back to his town in Colossae, and he began to preach in Colossae there the gospel, and people began to be saved, and a church was started there. And then, of course, all that happened was the false teachers come in and all of that. But you see, Paul's, the gospel had to be shared, first of all, with Epaphras, and, and that was from Paul. And then, and then they had to hear the gospel, and it was from Epaphras. 
because he tells us that Paphras was a faithful minister of Christ. You know, sometimes we mess up with words and we think a minister is necessarily, is, is maybe a, uh, a, a pastor or someone who is a missionary or some, they are ministers. But the truth, folks, is that anyone who knows Jesus Christ is a minister of the gospel. What kind of minister of you? What kind of minister are you? And Paul called these Colossians saints and faithful brethren. And he used here the word, uh, the same word faithful here. You know, he said this Colossians are, their faithfulness is to, is to reflect the faithfulness of Epaphras' faithfulness. You're to be just like him, just like he did in sharing the gospel. Epaphras not only served Paul as a, as a fellow servant, but he was a representative of Paul. He was there just as a, like an apostle who is sent. He was there and he had a message and he was teaching that message, the message of the gospel. And finally, you look at verse 8 and he says, and has made known to us the love in the spirit. And while he was there and he shared uh, with the, the church in Colossae and he shared, uh, you know, Paul Paphras was there and he was telling uh, Paul about all the things that were going on. He told about the problems but he also told about all the good things that were happening. Good things. You know, amazing to me as a pastor, you know, I've known this and I've seen this in others and, and, and I've seen people be in great churches and, and, and wonderful things happening. People being saved and being baptized and lives being changed, families being recovered and all those kind of things happening. And yet they had some little problem and their whole focus was on that problem. Listen, I've never known a church yet didn't have some problems. Always got problems because we're people and we're going to have problems. But why would we focus on the problem? Let's focus on what God is doing. I'm not saying act like it's not there. If there's false teaching going on, you got to deal with it, folks. You got to deal with what's happening there. And Paul was dealing with those things. But there was a, he talked about the love that was there. And that love was a supernatural love that came from Jesus Christ and of the Spirit working in them. And there, in fact, and, and he tells us there, and he uses, he talks about the Holy Spirit. That's the only time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this letter. Uh, we see the Father, we see the Son, but now we see the Spirit, which of course is appropriate because you close out with the Holy Spirit. That's the person, that's the third person of the Trinity. But the gospel was being shared. And listen, the gospel does not come to you in a vacuum. Everyone learns the gospel from someone else. These people learned it from Epaphras. Epaphras learned it from Paul. And that naturally leads to this question. Who will learn the gospel from you? Is somebody hearing the gospel from you? Now, I, yeah, and I know you, you don't, you're not standing in a pulpit. You're not standing up preaching to people, but you preach everywhere you go. And you got an opportunity to share the gospel. Who is hearing the gospel because you're sharing? Someone shared it with you. Won't you share it with someone else? Thank God for the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Thank God for the life-changing, God-honoring, Jesus-exalting gospel of Christ. And that's what Paul did. He was thanking God for that. And remember, Paul did it while he was still in prison. Sometimes we only want to thank God when everything's going good. Paul was in prison. He was in chains, and he was thanking God for what God was doing. And if you want to live a Christ-focused life, if you want to live a life that is in Christ alone, 
then you've got to focus on the gospel. You need to thank God for the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's why we need to be thinking about the gospel. That's why we need to preach the gospel because no one's going to get saved apart from the gospel. No one's life's going to be changed. We're not going to live for him apart from the gospel. The gospel's not for the, just for the beginning. It's for all the middle and until we get into heaven. And I don't know how we're going to use the gospel in heaven. I think we're just going to be praising God for what he did. But I, I know the gospel doesn't just stop at our salvation. We continue with the gospel. It should be the center of everything. And so we thank God for the gospel and with the power of the gospel in other people's lives. Thank God for the spread of the gospel around the world. And we thank God for whoever shared the gospel with us. I'm sharing it with you today. Maybe you need to know Jesus as your Savior. Have you come to know him? You've heard the gospel. You know the gospel. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And Jesus Christ offers to you free salvation. It was seen in what we did a little bit ago in the communion. Have you accepted that in your life? Have you trusted Jesus with that? If you haven't done that, this would be a good day to do it. And in just a little bit, as we leave out of this room, there are going to be encouragers at the doors. And they're there to help you. They're there to pray with you. In fact, this is our invitation for you today is to pull aside one of those encouragers, talk with them, tell them, I, I, I need to see, receive Christ as my Savior. I need more understanding about this. Would you pray with me? Or I've been away from the Lord. I need to come back to the Lord. Or I want to become a part of this church. Or whatever it is. Or I just need somebody to pray with me about something that's going on in my life. And would you do that with me today? That's what they're going to be there for today. And I invite you to stop by and talk with them before you leave today. Let's stand and pray.